Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining me today from across Los Angeles are Stacey Giwa, Vice President, Ethics and Compliance for the University of Southern California, and Marissa Hardy, Assistant Director of Compliance for USC. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about their compliance program. They had a great presentation at the 2022 SCCE Higher Education Compliance Conference. First, thank you for taking the time away from Trojan Life to talk to us. Thanks for having us. We're really excited. Glad to have you. Now, you said about evolving your program. Um, Stacy. why don't we talk with you? What were your goals going into the initiative? So we had several overarching goals and, and really at the fundamental um, level for everything we do um, was bringing in, if you think about it, more of the values and ethics pieces and related behaviors through to our compliance programs. So that was one big driver. And another um, big driver was obviously we're, we're a large complex organization. We want to provide reasonable assurance to our board and senior leaders and our external stakeholders and our internal stakeholders um, that we have really um, reasonable assurance that we have our core compliance programs in place. We also, Adam, wanted to shift a bit um, to be more proactive. So we wanted to be able to look at our programs and identify gaps or trends and themes and then address those in our overall framework for compliance programs so that um, if we had an issue in one area, another area could learn from that or adopt a best practice. So a little more quick with the lessons learned and the engagement of our, our stakeholder groups. And lastly, and this has really served us well, is we know we can and will escalate when we need to, um, but we really focus at every stage on partnership and coming to the table with our key stakeholders with a focus on why, why we're asking to do something, why we're focused on a particular element of the program, and that's really gone a long way for us. It sounds like it would be. I mean, it's a good way to have people have a greater sense of ownership and understanding, not just of what they're required to do. Now, Marissa, you were focused on how the program is implemented, particularly in clarifying roles. Can you tell us how you were able to bring greater clarity? Absolutely. And this is something that we talked a great deal about in our session. Uh, so for those listeners who were there, this should come as no surprise. But First and foremost, we engaged our compliance and ethics committee. So really that committee is, of course, our key stakeholders from 30 to 35 compliance areas and, and some other stakeholders as well, like OGC. Um, we engaged the committee when we set out to enhance our framework and standards because the framework and standards isn't just the elements, and I don't mean to diminish the elements, um, but it also is the standards. So they're roles based. And so we reached out to our committee, got a lot of feedback from them, and it's something that we are very proud of. Um, the framework and standards spells out, for example, that we in OCEC are responsible for things like policy governance, templates, schedules, etc. But then it also spells out areas where compliance leads are very responsible for uh, specific things. Uh, an example of that is in training and awareness. So our framework and standards reads something like, you know, compliance leads will ensure that impacted employees within their compliance area receive training and education. 
Um, so it's very prescriptive in a way to give folks, you know, just some general awareness of what their roles and responsibilities are as we all work together to achieve compliance. Um, and we even kind of went a step further. We spoke to this a bit in our session as well by including examples of metrics to measure progress based on those standards. So we got very specific, whereas I think um, having the framework was good, but really spelling out their responsibilities is where the rubber really meets the road with compliance. Well, and it also makes for success for something that you were doing, which is trying to have a collaborative approach teaming with others it's 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 great if everyone knows their roles it's chaos if they don't and by making that clear i think it probably helped the process greatly now you also wanted to better design and evaluate your program you just mentioned looking at metrics what keys to success did you find sure well starting all the way from the top we had a, a and we continue to have a lot of leadership support from the top down um, that's, of course, key. You know, we've all been talking about tone at the top for years and years, but that that really uh, is where it all starts for us. Um, in terms of designing the program, we talked framework and standards. Now, in terms of evaluating the program, we assess against those frameworks and standards. So um, we built assessment tools to help, again, enable and partner with our compliance leads to evaluate the program against the standards. So um, we really, really worked hard. I know we talked a lot in our session about the tool that we built so that we could help others self-assess. Um, we also are <laughs> open to uh, any feedback that we've received. So we've continued to uh, update the tools. We've created additional resources, questions for consideration, things like that. And then we go through our annual assessment process and we work with those compliance leads to say, okay, how are we doing against those framework and standards? Are the, the folks that we've identified doing what we expect uh, to ensure that we're managing our compliance requirements in the way we've all agreed upon? And Marissa, you know, something I would add to that, and it kind of goes back to the partnership. It, I've been we both I've been doing compliance work for a long time and you know a lot of times when you want to go in and quote assess or evaluate um, people's programs you know there can be a certain level of nervousness right what are you going to report what's going to be shown is that going to somehow imply that you know myself or my team weren't doing our jobs and so we've been very intentional um, about uh, Marissa mentioned the tool, letting people see what kind of information we would capture in the tool. What kind of dashboard or report would they get um, to share with their uh, direct leadership team? We meet with them to discuss findings and we characterize all our findings as opportunities for program enhancements. And again, if we find non-compliance, we're very proactive about escalating this, but even, even getting our senior leadership and board um, aligned with this approach was very helpful. So we've been very clear with our audit compliance risk and privacy committee of the board, with our senior leadership, that in order to mature the program overall and at the risk level, we need to engage and build tools and understand strengths and opportunities for improvement. And we need to use those opportunities in, as improvement as um, positive things so long as we plan around them. So we've actually done quite a bit of work 
around um, moving the narrative and the mindset. So when we identify opportunities for improvement, it does not come across as, oh my gosh, what has this team been thinking? And that's really gone a long way because we have people asking us to assess or evaluate or partner in facilitated sessions with them in deeper dives now to understand their program because they see the benefit of the output. It also allows us to make one to three year plans so folks don't feel like um, an avalanche is coming at them in terms of program improvement. Yeah, it sounds like a great approach because it, it makes compliance less an interruption and more about continuous process improvement. Now, one of the areas you focused on, Stacy, was the code of conduct and taking that to the next level. What did that involve? So that involved one community input. So number one, we all know we could probably write a really nice looking code. Um, at the time we undertook this project, USC had a code that had been in place for years and it really was um, more of a written aspirational statement, but it didn't link to training or policies. It didn't have kind of things that our, our community members could use to guide decision making. And so we really took a step back. We benchmarked, first of all, inside higher education and outside higher education. We got best practices. We did the, the team Marissa talked about. We brought in our compliance and ethics committee, but we also brought in things uh, like our academic senate, our staff assembly, um, different people who would just be interacting with the code in the future. And so we built the outline around our unifying values. So Adam, if you think back to what I said at the beginning is one of the things we're really focused on is bringing our unifying values and culture work through to our code and our compliance practices. So we probably had hundreds of people weigh in on the code, um, did the standard things around senior leadership and board approval. Our board was really excited about the code, so we've had a lot of, of support there. And this was important to us because, Adam, if you think about the compliance and ethics framework and the, the guidance standards underneath that, that, the, that Marissa talked about, that's really our, a key tool for folks who are deeply working in compliance risk areas. So that's kind of our practitioner's tool. We really took a step back and said, how do we reach the thousands of our community members so that they can have an easy link into values, compliance concepts, why accountability is important, um, and then an easy way to get to policies and training. And we really decided our, our code should serve as that hub. So we stepped back and we, um, it involved not only the drafting, but what we wanted to go with it was that it would be interactive. We would um, have links to updated policies. We would put it into our new employee orientation as the hub of how we talk about our culture, our ethics and our compliance programs. So this way we feel like, again, we're bringing all of our community together with different kinds of tools. And we see the code as that very broad, um, user-friendly, think of it as an outreach tool. 
Well, it should be both an outreach tool is a terrific way to sort of communicate to people, hopefully in approachable terms, what you're doing. So finally, um, what was the feedback you've received from across the enterprise uh, to all of these efforts? Sure, I'll take the, the I'll give you some of my perspective and I, I'm hoping that Marissa will jump in as well. Um, first, we've had overwhelmingly positive feedback about the focus on our unifying values and related behaviors. So that was a, a, another large initiative that we ran and over um, 25,000 members in our community weighed in on that. We have pulled that, that really positive feedback about stakeholder engagement, roles and accountabilities, who gives input, who makes the final decisions. We've pulled that through into policy management, compliance, um, early partnering, and I will go back to the explaining the the why, so that even if someone um, pushes back on how we want to do something, we're open to that as long as we're aligned on the why. And I would say, from my perspective, that's been the single biggest driver. Um, and of course, knowing our material, right? We we go to conferences like the SCCE conferences. We read the journals, so you know, having your expertise combined with your willingness um, to explore the how, how do we want to get things done if we're aligned on the why is, and it sounds obvious, but it's really taken us a lot of showing up more than once. Um, so we show up and show up and show up until we really get alignment. Yeah, and I'm, I, I wish that you could see me kind of smirking because it's true. I mean, we, we show up in different ways, I think, every day, too. And one, one piece that I would add, too, is that, uh, and I'm not even sure if we mentioned this in the session, Stacey, but we've actually had leaders uh, from the institution come to us and ask if we can assess an area of theirs or uh, look into using our methodology uh, an area that might be high focus or higher risk. So that's been maybe a first for me in my compliance career is having folks knock on the door or having something pop up in your inbox asking to assess programs. I think that's one of the greatest forms of feedback that we've received. And I will- well, That's uh, wonderful. Adam, yeah, I, I wanted to add, because we're sharing all the positive feedback, right? <laughs> Which is is wonderful. But along the way, we've also had constructive criticism, right? Some of it about how to make the tool easier to use or to get more meaningful reports for our stakeholders. So we did that. Um, we had constructive feedback about some of the things we were first putting in for our roles and accountabilities around policy management. You know, that feedback made sense. So I would also say that in addition to sharing you know, the positive outreach we've gotten. We always have to remember constructive feedback is positive too. You know, and by constructive, I mean some folks come into us and saying, hey, I don't really like how you're doing this, or you've made this a little bit too burdensome. But almost all of those conversations has in fact led to a better, more effective solution for us and our community as a whole. Well, that's a great story, and it's it's nice to see the evolution, and you're continuing to evolve it based on the feedback. 
Well, Stacy, Marissa, I want to thank you for sharing your insights here and at the conference. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletop from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <music>